0: Hello, and welcome to Between the Gutters. I'm Albert Lamb. And I'm
1: Bhutan And you're listening to the podcast where we talk about the stories within the panel. Today, we're going to talk about that Marvel movie that recently came out. Uh, finally had a chance to get around to seeing it. Ant-Man and the Wasp.
0: Yep, this is our review, so... So we review, hope you critique,
1: analysis—just yep. a whole bunch of random nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> we're definitely gonna be spoiling the movie, so oh yeah. So yeah. warning
0: to our listener, listener. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, we've got more than one, okay, dude. Okay, Have okay, a little faith. <laughs> to our listeners, um, we're we're gonna be talking about Ant-Man and the Wasp in pretty certain terms, so. You know, if you haven't watched it yet, please watch this movie first before you listen to us. Or, if you don't care about spoilers, go ahead and sit through it. It's all good, man. Yeah, listen to us. Yeah, listen to us. If if your only options are to
1: watch it and then listen to us, or don't watch it and don't listen to us, I say listen to
0: us. Yeah. Hopefully, we'll uh, give you a better appreciation going into the movie. Yeah. Yep. Even though
1: you'll know everything that's going to happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. still good. Yeah, it's still good. So... How do you want to start this, Drew? Uh, did you... Yeah. What, what do you got? Oh. Well, first of all, did you, did you like the movie? I did. You know, it, yeah. it was a fun time out. Um, I would say that... It was true to the spirit of the first Ant-Man movie in terms of tone. Mm-hmm. Um, which was just kind of a light-hearted romp. Yeah. Uh,
1: A good mix of comedy and action. Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, Ant-Man's not... Ant-Man's a pretty unexpected character to make a movie about. And I would say, as someone who's into comics, it's even when they announced it, the the very first Ant-Man movie... Were you uh, excited? I wasn't excited. I mean, I didn't actively seek the failure of the movie. But I will say that... It was an announcement that came Unexpectedly and it was Something that I I Wasn't clamoring for But okay like it's a, it's a comic book movie Let's see what they can do let's see if they can make it work And
1: were you more excited about The prospect of an Ant-Man movie Or the Guardians of the Galaxy Movie
0: Ooh, Good question Uh. Yeah, it's such a weird thing to ask now after the fact that both these movies came out. And they both had sequels. Yeah, and they both had sequels and they both did well enough that I have affection for it. For both of them. Yeah. So, um, I guess I would say I probably had more interest in the Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Only because it was... It looked bigger. Yeah. Uh, in, in terms of uh, just how they presented it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. What about you? Uh, what were your feelings on on the movie?
1: I had fun. I liked it too. It was definitely an entertaining. Just an enjoyable movie. Uh, yeah, like we were saying, it's a good mix of comedy and action. Yeah. It wasn't anything too heavy. It wasn't necessarily anything that was too deep yeah but it was it was just entertaining yeah entertaining and the characters were just fun to watch it was fun to watch them interact yeah Uh, and i think there were definitely some some scenes that the writing was pretty clever um i mean we can talk more about the specifics later but uh Overall, yeah, it was definitely an enjoyable movie. I don't know if it's necessarily something where I would be like, Oh, I want to pay money and watch it in the theater again.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But if you know, if, if I feel like watching it when it hits a uh, home video or whatever, you know, I'll check it out again. I would watch yeah, it again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh
0: like I I might even go as I might even go a step further and say like I don't even know if it's something that I would necessarily pay to own. Yeah. But, like, you know, given the right circumstances, like, if it was cheap enough, sure. Yeah, if you f-
1: found it for, like, two bucks.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, absolutely. But, yeah. <laughs> like, would I buy it, like, new, new, like, at full price? Um, I don't love it that much. Yeah. But, uh, for the amount of money that I spent on it, uh, and the amount of entertainment that I got in return. Well, I
1: technically, don't... you didn't spend any money on watching the movie today. That's true. You had true. those uh, free passes.
0: Well, okay, if I had spent the (laughs) $11.50 that they had charged me to go watch it, I wouldn't have been upset about it. I would have been like, okay, that's $11.50, $11.50, well spent. Yeah. 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 Um, did you feel like, what were your expectations going into Ant-Man and the Wasp, seeing, seeing as how we had the first movie... And how this movie was a follow-up to Avengers Infinity War.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think my expectations were... Uh, I don't want to say I had low expectations or anything, because that, that's not what I, what I really mean. But I think my expectations were that I w- it would just be something that would entertain me the way the first movie entertained me. Yeah, I thought the first one was, was fun, made me laugh. Yeah, uh, and the, the characters and the actors just did a good job. Having a good time interacting with each other in yeah, these yeah. bizarre circumstances, and yeah. we got to see, you know, a different set of visual effects with the shrinking and like the, the choreography in the sequel. I thought uh, was even more memorable. Just how they did stuff with the wasp. Yeah, Her, that fight where she's fighting in that restaurant or the kitchen. Yeah, I thought that was really well done. Yeah, and then going into the quantum realm, uh, seeing. The graphics they, they used for that you know it wasn't necessarily anything that blew me away but it was interesting enough that kept my attention yeah. and I didn't think it was uh, I thought they did a good job of portraying you know this other dimension that we kind of saw a little bit of yeah, yeah, in the yeah. previous movie
0: and yeah. also I
1: think uh, the other thing in light of how this movie came out a few months after Infinity War which we dissected at length yeah. uh, back when that came out. I think I didn't. I definitely went into the movie understanding that this takes place before Infinity War, so I didn't really expect this movie to provide any sort of follow-up or or really obvious clues for the next Avengers movie. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, I think didn't we when we were talking about Infinity War and and we talked about Ant Man? Didn't we basically say we expected the movie to to end with the post credit scene where they'd find her mom, they'd find Jan, and then they'd all disappear or something. I Um, feel like we said that. I don't think
0: we went as specific as to say that we predicted that they would find Jan. I, I don't remember us saying specifically that, but I do remember us saying that in all likelihood the movie would end kind of where... Infinity War ends with everybody disappearing, so right, like right. the 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 catastrophe would be felt at the end of his story, right? Yeah. Uh, that that it only it only makes sense that at the end of it is where it would tie into it. Yeah. Although I will say, now that you mention it, it would be interesting if like right in the middle of their story, half the population of <laughs> the world just disappeared, and all of a sudden this. Story has to veer off in this completely different direction. That would be interesting. Oh, that would have been extremely ballsy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I uh, like. I. It would have been a jarring experience, but I, I would be interested in. Yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> I would totally be interested in that. Yeah, it would just, it would totally be. Um, I would not. That would not expect that. Yeah, yeah. it'd
1: be super experimental. Yeah, who would have, who would have done that? Yeah, tell me, uh as a comic book fan, what are your feelings, or what are your thoughts on the character of Ant-Man in general? And not just Ant-Man, but specifically Scott Lang, as well as the other main characters, uh, Hank Pym and Janet Van Dyne, and in the movies, Got Hope.
0: Yeah, Uh, yeah, like, so the thing about Ant-Man and Hank Pym and sort of that segment of the Marvel Universe is that they're they're pretty foundational to the Avengers as a team. Hank and Jan. Are. Hank and Jan are, yeah. exactly, and that's kind of. I I would say that in my mind they're sort of, almost synonymous with the Avengers. Yeah. Right. But they're not characters that I ever thought of outside of that context. They're not characters that I ever felt so much affection or love for that I wanted them to have their own series or have their own story. So, again, when uh, Marvel announced they were making an Ant-Man movie, uh, to some degree I I did think that it was a pretty ballsy move in that, you know, Ant-Man's not really... Ant-Man, or at least Hank Pym, really felt more like a supporting character uh, to the Avengers, or... Part of an ensemble rather than right. a headliner, you know. So, yeah. um, even even the the way that his powers worked, right? So, if we look at Ant Man, and uh, let's uh, let's take any iteration of Ant Man, uh, Scott Lang, Hank Pym, whatever, um, he's a guy who shrinks down to the size of an ant and controls ants to help him foil crime. Like that works for bank robbers and stuff, but you can't really. It's hard to imagine building out from that in terms of sto- in terms of a uh, stories for like an ongoing series, right? Like, right. how many times can he fight bank robbers, and how many times can he fight spies or whatever? Oh, like, that's kind of why, or at least why I felt he works better as this super scientist that's part of the larger team of the Avengers, and, and it's hard to imagine him sort of having his own set of stories like even even when you have someone like spider-man you uh, ultimately you start off with him fighting crimes and as things escalate as you build a history around him you have spider-man fighting larger and larger villains Mm -hmm. and you build a rogues gallery around him for a guy that shrinks that's it's kind of hard to imagine building a rogues gallery around that right like he his power is size-changing, so like it just feels like a lot of his rogues would have to involve... Especially if you're doing world-building, it's going to involve size people, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, he, oh, he's fighting a guy whose power is to absorb size. That must be his opposite. <laughs> or a guy who only stays at one size... <laughs> Or a normal person, in (laughs) other words, (laughs) you know? Like, it's hard to imagine building (laughs) that many stories around that, you know? His power set, I'd say, is less sensational than um, most superheroes.
1: I think uh, comparing him with Spider-Man, that makes me think of how... Maybe... I wouldn't say size changing is less sensational because it's very dynamic too. But its I would say it's more simple in a way. At least when it comes to superhero comics. Because you take Spider-Man. He can do all these flashy things. You can have him be very acrobatic. Yeah, He's swinging around on skyscrapers. But when you have uh, Ant-Man or Giant Man, or Yellow Jacket, or any of the other aliases he's used. He really does two things, right? He just shrinks, or he gets big. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And and all of his other skills are kind of predicated on what size he is. Yeah. And I do think that with the proper creative mind, you can definitely write stories where he uses those powers in fun and creative ways that people as an audience don't really expect. Yeah. I think the reason why he doesn't really have a rogues, why any iteration of Ant-Man really doesn't have much of a rogue's gallery is because of the writers who are doing his story. And I don't necessarily think it's because of his power set. I think it's more just the fact that nobody ever really took the time to come up with any recurring villains or ongoing threats when when Hank Pym and the Wasp were first created
0: back in the silver age um,
1: i don't really remember who they were fighting
0: i think they were so here's what i remember i think them as characters were they're kind of a byproduct of the cold war so mm-hmm. espionage was kind of a big deal at the time so it we was they were them fighting, fighting commies? yeah they were fighting spies so it was like, oh, we're going to have these guys who can shrink down to size. And they're going to fight bank robbers and stuff. But, you know, if the big threat to our country is spies, then what better than to have the ultimate spy on our side? Mm-hmm. You know, so I guess, oh, they could fight the chameleon. Yeah. Huh?
1: That was something they could have done. Yeah,
0: Chameleons eat bugs. So yeah. there we go.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Dude, that's, that works on multiple levels, yeah. then. I think I'm a genius. Yeah. Dude, you, you got you to gotta send that pitch over to Marvel, man. Yeah. Dear Marvel, how come you don't have chameleons fighting ants and wasps?
1: Yeah. <laughs> natural enemies.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, yeah, even on, you know, from that perspective, outside of the animal thing, uh, it could work, I guess. Yeah. I mean, they, uh, yeah, uh, his his power is sneaking around and, you know, shape-shifting to look like other people, and Yeah. that's, Yeah, I don't really know how to describe, like, how their powers... I I guess you could say that their powers that are compatible with one another.
1: Because because, uh, Ant-Man changes sizes,
0: and the Chameleon changes identities. There you go. (laughs) Boom! There we go. (laughs) But I'm just saying that they're compatible, I guess. Yeah, or at least you could logically make a story that works out between the both of them. I realistically speaking you can make a story that works out between Ant Man and anyone that like it just depends on the quality of the writer, right? I believe that. But I'm just I guess it'd be easier. Yeah. And easier I, to swallow.
1: I guess the main thing that yeah that I think is is uh Ant Man like all the iterations of Ant Man over the years, I mean from Hank Pym to Scott Lang to Eric O'Grady. Yeah. They just they're not really uh, they they never really have their own supporting cast, at least un- not until recently, right? Like when when the movie came out, Marvel gave Nick Spencer a run on Ant Man, and I think that's worked out really well. Yeah, that that's been good. Um, I guess it, it didn't last as long as it could have, but you know, at least at least we got something that's uh, yeah, it's substance, you know. Yeah, you can look at
0: that story, and you know, I haven't read the whole thing, but I've read. Enough of it to know that it's probably the most quality Ant-Man story yeah. comic that I've read.
1: Yeah, because Hank Pym and and the Wasp they've t- typically worked best as supporting characters and or team just team members on on the Avengers. Yeah, right? like most of the enemies that I think of when when I think of those two characters, they're just enemies of the Avengers. They don't. Yeah, I can't really think of like what who's the Wasp's like arch enemy.
0: Um. Yeah. But yeah, yeah like I got Hank Pym. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were there.
1: You were there. Uh, I guess we can talk about it. Okay, so... I guess so, we can talk about it. So... I was, I was gonna say Hank Pym's greatest enemy is his own personal insecurity <laughs> and mental fragile, fragility. <laughs> Hank Pym's greatest enemy is the person who stares at him back in the mirror.
0: <laughs> so, for those of you that don't know comics too well, um... I want to say in the 70s. Was it the 70s? Uh,
1: might have been the
0: 80s. Okay. I don't remember. Might have been the 80s. Um, one of the biggest things that Hank Pym is known for is that there was a period in his time where he suffered a mental breakdown, and during this period, he beat his wife. Yeah. So it's not a good look for a superhero to be a spousal abuser, but they went there. Yeah. So, don't send your angry letters to me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that, well, that's always been one of his uh defining stories too. Yeah. It's it's such a a low point, you know. I mean yeah. his other defining story is creating Ultron. So I guess you yeah. could say Hank Pym's greatest enemy was Ultron. Yeah. Uh, but when I think of Hank Pym today, I think of him beating on his wife,
0: yeah. the wasp, you know. Between hitting his wife and creating one of the worst villains uh, that the Avengers has. Um, those are two pretty big low points. Yeah. You know It's hard to top that. I mean, I can't think of anything good he's done <laughs> <laughs> relative to that, right? Like, No matter what good... No matter what writer writes him and puts him in a story where he does something... Where he saves the world or whatever, it really doesn't compare to those two as my lasting memory of Hank Pym. You know, yeah, like he's he, a character that has a lot of baggage. Yeah, but to be fair, um, even in creating Ultron, uh, I think that was intended baggage. Yeah, like so. Yeah. So I don't really have quite as for much sure. of a problem with that. I think that I think that works from a storytelling yeah, vantage point. Absolutely, sure. like if if, I'm, if we just pointed at that as one of his kind of defining uh, moments, uh, moments um, yeah I'd be I, I'd be fine with that that's something that it, it builds character I guess you could say right yeah. uh, it's something that uh, shapes him moving forward uh, the whole hitting his wife thing um, less so I mean it's it's just hard to take in from a human level I guess yeah, you know, like I don't think I don't think that I can look back at that and be like, that was a high point for him, like <laughs> from a storytelling perspective. Yeah. You know, I
1: think the other thing that makes it tough is that even after he did that, uh, yeah, I guess he might have gotten uh, removed from the Avengers temporarily, but he's always come back. You know, yeah. it's always yeah. like they forgive him of his crimes, and and he can continue on being a hero.
0: Yeah,
1: and, and he- then. And then most writers just don't mention it unless they have a story where they actually want to address it. Yeah. But I feel like most most of the time, uh like it's just such a big part of Hank Pym's history that it really is. it's just a defining moment for him. Yeah. Like with with Janet Van Dyne in the comics, like she's obviously moved on past that and they've told stories uh where she's demonstrated a lot of leadership and She's been leader of the Avengers and and all that, but with Hank Pym, it just makes it hard for it makes it makes it hard to root for him. Yeah, you know, like as as a reader, you know, I'm I'm cool with with reading the Wasp having led the Avengers and yeah. and all that, but with Hank Pym, it's like every time I read a Hank Pym story, I can't help but think, <laughs> oh, is that's, wife? that's <laughs> the <Batman> guy <laughs> who beat his wife. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah. It's, it's hard to recover from that. It is. It is. And even even when uh, Mark Miller and Brian Hitch did the ultimates in the early two thousands and they did the ultimate uh, version of Hank Pym and, and Janet Van Dyne. He
0: embraced that element yeah, of the story. Mark like, Miller
1: totally doubled not, down on yeah. Hank Pym being
0: a vicious, insecure wife beater. Yeah. And like even okay, even when we think back to that original story, it wasn't it wasn't as brutal, right? Like, yeah. It wasn't like he was actively brutal to Janet Van Dyne. I mean, they did it within the confines of a comic story. Yeah. So, like, as a kid, I never actually read that issue. But, you know, it was on the back of all the material that they would put out about Hank Pym. Yeah. You know, like, whatever card or whatever the comic. official
1: handbook of the Marvel yeah. Universe.
0: Or if there was a comic that had Hank and Janet or whatever, they would, like, refer to that. So, like, it was always kind of front and center. So my imagination allowed me to envision, like, what Hank did to Jan as something far more brutal than what they actually showed in that comic. You know? Yeah. Uh, But when Mark Miller did it, like, he just went for it. You know? (laughs) Like, it was...
1: That that story was... Painful. It it was (laughs) painful. (laughs) and, And I'm not saying... Like when when I talk about why uh, him beating his wife is is messed up, I I do think that the Ultimates uh, was a really great story. I mean that was yeah, yeah, obviously yeah, yeah, yeah. on our list yeah. of the top twenty five greatest Marvels of all time. Uh, and and what I what I think stands out with the way Mark Miller and Brian Hitch did their story of that or did yeah. their take of that story they they really had Hank portrayed from the beginning of the story as this sort of Insecure, uh, somewhat unstable personality. Who, yeah. who was he? Just really wanted to be the scientist who could create a super soldier serum. And then when once they found uh, Captain America, it was like his contributions were weren't that important anymore. Yeah, they didn't really need him that much. Yeah, and he was just so upset and frustrated, and ended up, uh, <laughs> he ended up taking it out on his wife. He, yeah, he, he I think how did it start? He first he he slapped her. And yeah, then, he would, and then and then she used her powers to, to shrink and get away from him, and then yeah. he put on the Ant Man helmet and commanded the ants to like attack, attack her. Him. Yeah, and it it was all just all sorts of messed up, but yeah. it was a uh, it was just a fascinating
0: comic. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't condone that sort of violence. Yeah. I don't derive any entertainment value from it or anything like that. But I understand that it's part of the drama of it, right? It's,
1: it's part of the storytelling. Yeah. I, I think <clears throat> going back to the uh, original comics, the 616 universe, as it were, I, I don't think that that story was told with that sort of sensitivity or understanding yeah, 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 yeah. of like what the implications of this were. Because yeah. the whole idea when, when Mark Miller and Brian Hitch did, did their version was that this is... This is a quote-unquote superhero, but look what he's doing. Yeah. And it got to the point where he did that, and there were consequences that he had to face. You know, he yeah. he tried to run away. Captain America chased him down and beat, beat the, the crap, crap out, out of him. Them. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow, we said that at the same time. And well, we're that twin spirits.
0: A... We're, we're twin spirits inhabiting two separate bodies. I think we're meant for one another.
1: Hey, hey Albert, do you see that star <laughs> in the distance? When you look at that star...
0: <laughs> think of that as my soul. And know soul. that I'm looking up there t- <laughs> <laughs> Um, Yeah, but you're, you're absolutely right. The, the, the original story that they did, it really just felt more like they did it for this sensational aspect of it, yeah. like, yeah, oh, oh man, like everyone's got such dark feelings and emotions now, look what this guy did, yeah, you know? And then, and then, yeah, maybe
1: there were some short-term consequences, but after that, yeah. you know, everything was back to normal, yeah. which wasn't the case in the Ultimate comics. Yeah,
0: he lived with that. He had to live with yeah. the fact that he was a wife-beater. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But in in the mainstream comics in the 616 universe, that's just always been a part of his history, and yeah. I think that's, that's one reason why it's always been hard for me to be a fan of Hank Pym as a character. Yeah.
0: Yeah, um, that's that's more than fair. Um, I think not only that, but yeah. it, it
1: also feels like every time they address that story, they're always trying to do something where they show, hey, look, he's redeemed, and yeah, you know, they always want to do that thing where they show that he's making up for it. Yeah, it doesn't <laughs> and it doesn't matter. But it, it's hard to imagine being in that situation where he can. Do that and still be like this superhero who who doesn't have to face any consequences. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's it's just a weird thing that they constantly try to sweep under the rug until yeah. the time when they try to tell a Hank Pimp story and make him look like a hero again. But
0: the funny thing is, by doing that, you're just reminding us that he did it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. Do you want to talk about like what the movie was actually about? Uh, like I, I I guess it's important that we kind of give at least a brief outline of what the overall plot and uh, plot of the movie is just so that we can kind of yeah. break it down and discuss that's, that's a good what idea. we felt about it and uh, how how we viewed it in context of the comics that we do read. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, you
1: should probably summarize it since you're better at that sort of thing than I am.
0: Okay, so, um, the, so Ant-Man and the Wasp starts out with Scott Lang, uh, Ant-Man kind of not kind of, but it starts out with him in the aftermath of everything that happened in the previous Marvel's, Marvel movies. So at the end of Civil War, he was he joined the rogue superheroes and kind of went against the government. And as a result, he's under house arrest, and he's just trying to be a good dad up to this point. Um, if you haven't seen the first one, just know that he the first one starts with him getting out of jail, mm-hmm. and he becomes this superhero, and in this one... It starts out with him being under house arrest so at this up to this point in his life, the greatest thing that he's done is he's become this superhero but he's still just kind of this constant disappointment and constant failure. he kind of just yeah. screws it all up but from uh, from his home under house arrest he you know he's building a relationship with his daughter and he's kind of redeemed himself in the eyes of his ex-wife and even her husband. And he's trying to get his life back together. He's got a small company. You know, he's really trying to make his life work for him. But then he begins to get visions three days before he's going to be released from house arrest. And he contacts um, Hank Pym and uh, Hope Hope Van Dyne, right? He contacts them and they go off in search of... Or or rather, he, he tells them about this dream that he has and they figure out that his time in uh, in the quantum realm when he shrunk down to that size in the first movie has created some sort of link between him and Janet Van Dyne, who was uh, Hank Pym's wife. Mm-hmm. So the movie is really about their search to go off and save this woman that was lost to them all those years ago. But over the course of this uh, story, this this A-plot, uh they come into contact with gangsters that want to steal their technology as well as this other villain who who's the ghost who basically has powers so her powers are that she's out of flux with the rest of the world she's mm-hmm. in constant shi- uh she's constantly phasing uh out of I don't know what is. it is. not reality, but it's just... She's out of phase with the world. Yeah. And she knows that the technology that Hank, Pym, and Hope Van Dyne are using to try to rescue Janet...
1: And enter the quantum realm. And enter
0: the quantum realm is the same technology that could potentially save her from phasing completely out of existence. Yeah. So I think that's a pretty yeah. accurate summation of the movie. Yeah. So, so it's a movie where... All of these different various factions... Oh yeah, and the government is also one of the parties uh, that are trying to capture uh, Hank Pym Pym and and Hope Hope Van Dyne and also regulate Scott Lang. Yeah. So it's, it's a movie about all these different factions trying to capture Hank Pym and Hope Van Dyne, or if not those two the technology that they're seeking, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so there's a lot, there's kind of a lot going on, but at the same time, at no point did I feel that the movie was overly messy. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: It was pretty, uh, straightforward in order in terms of, uh, keeping
0: everything in order. Yeah. 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 So uh, I thought they did a good job of keeping it pretty clean. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have any thoughts on, was there anything that you wanted to add? Uh,
1: not to the, plot summary i think that was pretty much
0: encapsulated everything that mattered yeah well okay so i i do want to make one statement um after having watched the movie and like thought about it a little bit i do feel that it's the kind of plot that works for Mm ant-man um because and feel free to disagree with me but it as i was saying earlier like with Spider-Man or Captain America or even Iron Man, you can kind of tell this sort of straightforward story uh, where it's like, oh, he's got this thing and, you know, the stakes are raised and, you know, the, the it, it's a more linear sort of story that you can tell. Yeah. But I do feel with Ant-Man, the best kind of stories, at least so far that I've seen with him, are stories that kind of revolve around the mundane you know? Yeah. So if you look at like the Nick Spencer run on Ant Man, it's about Ant Man starting a security firm from what I remember, mm-hmm. right? And it's about him working it's about him not necessarily redeeming himself, but he's trying to not be a mess, essentially. Yeah. So yeah. he's trying to spend time with his kid, he's trying to, you know, keep his company going, he's trying to pay the bills, stuff like that. Yeah. Like all this superhero stuff sort of It happens, but it sort of happens in the background. And I feel like this movie...
1: They either happen in the background, or they're just added complications to what he's actually trying to do in his life.
0: Exactly, exactly. And you've said this before, where the best kind of stories are the stories that, when you think about a character in that story, it's a story that only can be told about that specific character. And I felt like that was the thing about Ant-Man, was... If you try to make him like Spider-Man or Iron Man where, like, the stakes are the, you know, the end of the world, it's it's a little harder to, to buy, you yeah. know? Like, even the visuals of that are a little harder to accept because, again, me, and this might just be me, it, like, his power is shrinking, so it just doesn't really quite feel the same, <laughs> you know? So, like, call it a metaphor or whatever, but, like, if you make the stakes smaller... It sort of works for him, you know? And I do really feel that, for Ant-Man, he's a character where the best kind of stories, and again, these are, like at least so far, that I've seen, are the ones that focus more on his personal life, mm-hmm. and all this other stuff is really just, like you said, complications to that, that aspect of his life. So, in this movie, I really felt like they captured that, because, yeah, totally. again, it was about him being a dad, and trying to juggle his conscience and also trying to juggle doing what's best for him and his family you know yeah. he just wants to be he just wants to get out of house arrest so that he can lead a normal life have a business and you know take care of his be a good dad yeah be a good dad yeah. but at the, and and even maybe fall in love have a relationship but at the same time like all this all this espionage stuff is going on and they're trying to save like this uh, his his conscience sort of he needs, conflicts to, with that. He needs to help yeah, yeah yeah he has to help
1: people and helping people has him helping Hank Pym and Hope with with their with their quest to yeah find her mom that there was always that tension of of him doing the right thing to help them but doing that would kind of set him at back at the
0: expense of yeah <laughs>
1: like he, he could get could get caught uh, violating his house arrest yeah. and then do what? What was it? Twenty years or something? Yeah.
0: And and that's, and, and I will say this about the movies again. Like it's sort of the same case with the Guardians of the Galaxy, where you know they weren't necessarily characters that I had initial fondness for, or even thought about that much. But mm-hmm. I would say that the movies sort of made them their own, right? Like,
1: yeah. Um, I mean, I definitely like. The Michael Douglas Hank Pym more than the comic book Hank Pym.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I even like Paul Rudd. I love you know I love him as, as Scott Lang. He's great. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, it's, I yeah I guess it's about the drama of him trying to navigate his conscience compared to what's actually best for him. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. That was a. It, it
1: was good that the movie had that sort of tension because it, it added a layer of uh, just emotional <laughs> investment yeah. as opposed to just watching a string of action sequences.
0: That's what I was going to say, actually. Um, So I did talk to a friend of mine who watched it, mm-hmm. and um, no, I talked to Edmund, and Edmund didn't actually enjoy the film. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I, like, I can't speak for him. I can't necessarily speak for his state of mind, but if I had to guess, I think... Well, a couple of things. I, I do think there were certain scenes in the film that kind of were a little convenient. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I'll discuss that later. But uh-huh. I do think that if you're not necessarily a fan of Scott Lang, here, here's how I would put it it felt sort of like this was like a superhero version of a sitcom almost in that like, again, it's like, I'm just a single dad trying to make life work out for me. And like, um, supervillains keep showing up to ruin my day. You it's like know? a full house. Yeah, kind of. Took place in San Francisco. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think if you're not really into that drama or if, if that aspect of, ant-man slash scott lang's life doesn't appeal to you if you're not engaged in that yeah then i could see how you can be sort of bored by it yeah or if you're more interested in i really want to see ant-man just you know fighting for the you know for the life livelihood of the world that that's kind of what i need him to be to be at you know right, right. Uh, i need this to be life and death and you know just grand operatics or something like yeah. that then uh, you might not enjoy this, honestly. But yeah, yeah that, I can see that. Yeah, um, I do think that the character of the ghost was an interesting, like, villain for the movie because, again, as we mentioned earlier, Ant Man uh, isn't a character that has his own rogues gallery. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know if anyone's ever attempted. To, to do that for him but um for the most part it just feels like his rogues are avengers rogues yeah you know um, pretty much yeah so the ghost was an interesting choice yeah yeah the ghost is in the comics the ghost is one of Iron man's rogues yeah and uh they they made quite a few changes to the ghost in this movie yeah. so in the comics the ghost is an anarchist and uh basically this dude who believes in conspiracy theories he a lives white dude right yeah. A white yeah. dude. White know. dude, lives off the grid. He doesn't really have a name. Uh, no one really knows who he is. He erased
1: his identity. He
0: erased his identity, and he just... Uh, he wants
1: to bring down corporations. Yeah,
0: he's an anarchist. Yeah. yeah. But in this... And and his powers come from the technology that yeah. he, he he develops. So he, he's, he does corporate espionage, but he uses the money that he gets paid for these jobs... To live off the grid. Yeah. Yeah. And he's... I guess he's paranoid. He's
1: super paranoid.
0: Super paranoid. Really fascinating character, though. Yeah, they, very when antisocial. When they, when, they, <laughs> when they made
1: him a member of uh, the Thunderbolts, that was a really good run, and he was definitely one of my favorite characters yeah, in that yeah. series. So
0: Even... Yeah, yeah. Like, the redesign of him was great. Um, yeah. I, I'd say he, he, he's been used pretty well. He's, he's probably yeah. up there in terms of my favorite villains. Yeah, same here. Yeah,
1: especially because of that Thunderbolts run. Thunderbolts was basically, uh, if you're not familiar with, with the Thunderbolts, they're basically Marvel's Suicide Squad. Yeah. Basically, a team of supervillains that's forced to work uh, as superheroes. Yeah. To shave time off their sentences.
0: Um, but for the movie, they did change the character a little bit. Um uh, mm-hmm. Well, not a little bit. I'd say significantly. Yeah. But not necessarily in a bad way. Yeah. Um, not in a
1: bad way. It wasn't anything that made yeah. me upset or anything. I'm not. I would never call myself. Uh, when it comes to comic book adaptations of movies, I would never call myself a purist. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think other people might call me an elitist. which is fair, <laughs> but
0: I'm not a purist.
1: Yeah, so, I can understand why things are going to be different.
0: Yeah, and why they would make changes. Yeah, and um, notice uh, and understandably there are good changes and there are bad changes, but yeah, you know, hey, that's something that, that's a different discussion. Obviously. Yeah. So uh, the version of the ghost that they had for. Ant-Man and the Wasp was, I forget what her real name was. I think it was Ava. I don't remember if they ever said her last name. Okay. So the thing about this character, so the first noticeable thing is that she's a woman instead Mm -hmm. of a man. Um, And the second big thing was that the powers that she exhibited, the ability to phase through solid objects was... When you
1: said powers, your breath flew into my mouth. That was a very powerful uh, way you pronounced the word.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I just inhaled a little bit of you. I'm a little uncomfortable. (laughs) I shouldn't have done that, but uh, not necessarily because I'm ashamed that that It's it's not
1: like we're sitting that close to each other, but (laughs) the force of your breath flew into my mouth, which just happened to be slightly open at that that time. Uh, Now I'm just like, you're... You're in my
0: lungs. So anyways, the ghost is this character. <laughs> so the thing about the ghost is is that, um, as I mentioned earlier, the, the ghost in the comics is a guy who developed his own technology, and his pure motivation is just to bring down corporate organizations as as a corporate terrorist, more or less. Yeah. And this version of the ghost, she's a girl that was caught in an accident that affected her body so that she was naturally out of phase with the world around her. And her motivation for getting in contact with... or for, for Her motivation in the movie is to get the technology from Hank Pym and Hope Van Dyne because she thinks it'll save her and put her back into regular, basically put her back into a regular state where she won't just disintegrate or disappear. Right. Yeah.
1: She can't control her powers, or she can control them to a certain extent, but in some way they actually dictate her life as well, because she, yeah without the suit, she can't, it it seemed like she couldn't really uh, exist too long apart from
0: the suit or apart from that chamber. She was... I would say her motivation or the the it's a pretty dramatic shift in motivation, but it does make her more of a sympathetic character. So she's not necessarily again, as as I mentioned earlier, the the ghost in the comics is a terrorist. yeah, you know he's I wouldn't necessarily say he's selfish, but he's those those motivations are less understandable, I guess mm-hmm. than uh, Ava or the ghost in this movie She was, wants
1: to live Yeah, she
0: just wants to live yeah. That's really her main thing Yeah
1: And, and They also uh, Explained some of her backstory About how After her accident uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. took her in And basically trained her up To be a,
0: a Soldier yeah. Or a, a Super spy Yeah so she, she would do missions for them Yeah She was just a kid Who just didn't want to... She just wanted a normal life. Yeah, and, and then when
1: S.H.I.E.L.D. got taken down back in uh the Winter Soldier movie, Yeah. I guess she just went off the grid
0: and... Oh, did they say that? I didn't catch that. Huh? Did, did oh, they I, say, I mean, I
1: thought that was implied. Oh, okay. Because that, that's when S.H.I.E.L.D. got taken down, right? Like, we haven't had S.H.I.E.L.D. really since then.
0: I guess. I mean, I just assumed that she just went off the grid on her own, but I, I guess there might have been a line in there that I missed. Yeah.
1: I, I think... I, I, I don't know if there was a line. I think oh, okay. for some reason or whatever, I could be wrong, but that's just how okay. I'm remembering it. Okay. But that,
0: that was, like, her opportunity to, like... Go off the grid. Exactly. And, yeah. Yeah. What did you think of this change? What did you think of this version of the ghost? I liked her. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um. I, I am a big fan of the ghost in the comics, especially uh, these past few years because um, of the Jeff Parker run on the Thunderbolts. Yeah. But... I wouldn't say that I would I was expecting or demanding, you know, that specific version to be translated yeah, on the yeah. screen. You know, I was I was pretty happy with the the design of her suit. It looked it, it looked, looked cool. Good. Yeah, it looked, it looked cool. cool. Yeah. And her motivation, like you said, made sense yeah.
0: for the movie. It worked. Uh yeah, it just worked. Uh, yeah. like I, I'm sort I'm with you in the sense that I wasn't Outraged or anything by the fact that this wasn't the ghost that I knew. Yeah. Um, And I think it goes back to the idea that Ant-Man as a movie isn't isn't necessarily like most movies where you have to have that like just straight up bad guy, right? Like like I her motivations made sense to me, and it it was really more about the, I guess the human drama of it all, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like she, the only reason that she was in conflict with them was she just didn't want to die. And that to me worked out better than some story. Like, okay, let's take the first Ant-Man movie as an example, right? Yeah. His first villain was the yellow jacket and it was more of a straight up, like, this is a bad guy. This is a good guy. Very black and white. Right. Yeah. But, um, I don't really feel like that's something that we needed to see again, and I was okay with this. For
1: what do you think would have happened if Ghost, instead of uh, doing all that she did, stealing, trying to steal the lab, trying to steal the part to complete the quantum entanglement tunnel, which you might call it. yeah, the hoo ha, <laughs> the cosmic hoo ha. I, I think it was
0: a, I think it was a sandwich that she was trying to make. It was like a burger or something very, like her motivation was that she just wanted a burger. <laughs> what do,
1: what do you think? What have? well what do you think about this? What if instead of trying to go to all the trouble to do all that, what if she had just tracked down Hank and Hope and asked them nicely if they could help her?
0: Yeah, uh, like that that's a really fair point to bring up, right? Like this whole thing could have been avoided if, they had, if she had just gone to them and said, "Hey, this thing is happening to me and you guys seem to be the expert. Like, what can yeah. you do for me? Yeah. So, it, it is... I That did occur to me, too. Like, uh, that occurred to me throughout most of Cause, the film. Because
1: I understand how they introduced uh, Bill Foster as this former colleague of Hank Pym and Bill Foster is basically like her surrogate father figure, yeah. like, taking care of her and trying to help her. And, yeah, the, he... Bill Foster and Hank Pym had a falling out, but yeah. if, if Bill Foster truly cared about her so much, why why was his first instinct or why was their plan to try and go to all the trouble to steal everything Yeah, when he could have just swallowed his pride and been like, hey, can you really... I, I know we had some bad stuff happen between us, but I really need your help. Can you help save her life? Yeah. But I guess there wouldn't be as much drama.
0: Yeah. If, if, I mean, I don't have an answer yeah. for that. Like, again, logically speaking... The- that, that could be one of those things where it's like,
1: that was convenient. That that was their reaction to just start stealing, and that yeah. creates conflict, and that creates the movie. You know, yeah, like without yeah. that, it wouldn't be very exciting to yeah. watch. You know, Bill and Hank sitting in the room and talking about their problems.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it really did feel like, to some degree, it was one of those wacky car chase movies where it was like we're all trying to catch this thing, and we're not all. Bad people or anything, but like you know, we're just all at odds with one another because we're trying to catch this thing—a Like thing. a wacky race lander. Yeah, something. exactly, <laughs> exactly, right. I, I, and even the villain that they did have—the uh, the the gangster who just purely wanted it to for money, right? Yeah, I mean that guy wasn't a menacing villain. He was a—he was kind of funny. He was pretty funny. He was meant to be a joke. Yeah, I'd say that so. southern gentleman. Yeah. <laughs> So,
1: it's was he? Uh, I didn't. I'm not sure if I caught it, but did they? Did he say he used to be
0: a Hydra agent or something, or what? What was his backstory? I think he was just. I don't know. if... I don't remember hearing anything about him being a Hydra agent. I just oh, okay. remember that he was just, you know, a you know corrupt business, or I don't even know corrupt. He was a greedy businessman or something like that. Yeah. You know, he was just a dude who wanted to take the technology that. Hank Pym and Hope Van Dyne were working on, yeah. and turned it into a multi-billion-dollar business.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, yeah, I don't know if he was a criminal. Like, I don't. Yeah, even at the end of the movie, when they took the truth serum, he was saying <laughs> that he he, uh, you know, it sounded like the worst thing that he did was he had <laughs> health code violations in restaurants that he owned. Yeah, so he was, you know, he was just kind of a, kind of a comic villain to To just have in place to uh, to be another obstacle, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, in 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 terms of um. The special effects. How did you feel about how those looked for this film? I liked you you talked about it a little. Yeah, I liked the
1: uh, the size changing stuff. Yeah, that that was fun. Um, the, the scene that stands out was. That scene where Hope is fighting inside the the kitchen, yeah, and and you see like the perspective changes when she's running along the counter and like trying to dodge all these people trying to slap her or or knife her or crush her, yeah. And then the the choreography that they did, where it was just it looked really smooth, you know, like where she's small and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, she gets big and she's throwing punches. They swing back at her. Yeah, she shrinks down. They're throwing knives at her, and she's small enough to like start running on them yeah, to yeah, yeah. build up momentum. And I thought that was fun. Yeah. I thought that was fun. Uh, all the Hot Wheel stuff that was pretty funny <laughs> too. I, yeah, I think the kid in me just enjoyed that, just yeah. seeing all these little cars in that box and <laughs> basically, you know, picking whichever one that they wanna
0: wanna right use. Yeah, it.
1: yeah. that—that like that would be pretty awesome to have. Um, I think the. The scenes with the uh, quantum realm, they were just kind of your typical, uh, you know, CG, you know, yeah. make-believe fantasy realm. I do think that they were... They got the idea across. It yeah. wasn't anything that blew my mind. It wasn't anything that made me think, oh, why did they make it look like that? It yeah, was just yeah, yeah. kind of like, oh, I'm watching a movie, you know? Yeah.
0: Like, that's that's it, fine. It did what it yeah. did. It conveyed that yeah. this was subatomic realm.
1: Yeah. There's yeah. somewhere different.
0: Yeah. I guess I got a little more enjoyment out of those that scene than you did, but I I did like those little creatures that. Oh yeah. That that they had
1: those weird like protozoa type of amoeba
0: things. I thought that was kind of. Those were funny. Yeah. Um. I was uh, one of the thoughts that I did have while I was watching was, and I don't know if they did this on purpose or if it was necessarily a real shout out, but they were doing that pretty crazy car chase scene towards the end of the movie in san francisco yeah and it made me think of michael douglas and i was like dude this is like a little shout out to michael douglas and like streets of san francisco (laughs) like if you don't know uh his career he one of the earliest things that he did was he used to do a cop show in san francisco called the streets of san francisco where I, i did not know that yeah there'd be a bunch of car chases and you know that was kind of the big thing that it was known for and was that
1: show actually filmed in San Francisco
0: uh, I want to say it was I don't remember off the top of my head because it, it's it was a really old show What like was that the 70s? 60s or 70s 60s? Okay. yeah maybe maybe 70s you know what it might be in the 70s but super old show and it just I chuckled to myself when I was watching that because I was like oh man I, <laughs> I wonder if this is like kind of a nice little nod to yeah um, Michael Douglas's yeah. career <laughs> yeah know? yeah. What did you think about the movie's portrayal of San Francisco? Uh, I thought it was pretty comical, honestly. it's uh, I guess it's always surreal whenever you watch a movie that is supposedly filmed in the place that you live. So I, I wonder if people in Los Angeles or New York kind of have the same sort of uh, experience. But they, I get it. There are sort of iconic set pieces that you want to have. Yeah. And they want to try to get as many of them as possible. You know, you gotta
1: have a Coit Tower in the back, and yeah. you gotta have the Golden
0: Gate Bridge, have the Crooked Street, Lombard Street. Yeah, but they always make it the way that they lay it out, it always makes it seem like these things are literally right next to each other, you know? Yeah. So it's like. <laughs> Uh, you go down Lombard Street, then you turn a corner, and then you're in the Tenderloin, and then you go across the street, and you're in Chinatown, and it's like, what? <laughs> you know? Maybe maybe they're just driving that fast, Albert. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe it's the quantum realm having an effect on them. <laughs> like, I, I can't say. Oh, man.
1: It is fun to... Well, it's, it's, it's fun to know that at least... There's a character that's set in San Francisco. Yeah. It makes me feel good, even yeah. though the city doesn't really even though the way they film things constantly made me think, hey, that's not how the city <laughs> looks, you know? Right, it, right. At least they showed Fisherman's Wharf. That yeah. I mean it was even that, I was like, did they actually yeah. film that? Film people there, or yeah. did they just take like an establishing establishing shot and then yeah. like film the rest of it somewhere else? I don't do fairies actually Oh, yeah, there are
0: fairies. I mean, like. Like, from, from that specific location? I don't know. Right? I don't. It's from that. Speci- yeah. I mean, it's in the general vicinity yeah. of that area, but I don't know if it's specifically from that part of the pier, let's say. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that I wanted to bring up in terms of the special effects was. They the f- giant ants. Huh? The giant ants. Well, yeah, the giant ants are cool. I mean, they're just a fun thing to have because. You know, who doesn't love giant ants? Yeah. You know? But what I was going to say was, it was kind of the smaller, it was definitely kind of a smaller, subtler thing, or part of the movie, but for the sake of the movie, they had to do a young version of Michelle Pfeiffer, a young version of uh, Lawrence Fishburne, and a young version of Michael Douglas. That's right. And I would have to say that I'm pretty impressed. Uh, Granted, like, this isn't necessarily new technology, like, for the past, even in the first... Ant Man film, you did. You yeah. had like a young version of Michael Douglas, and yeah. uh, even in the Star Wars film, they they did that general uh, who, who's been dead for a while. And oh they, yeah,
1: uh, Grandma Moff Tarkin.
0: Yeah, they yeah. did Grandma Tarkin, and you know those were all serviceable. Like I better than serviceable. I mean, they were good, right? Yeah. Um, but I think in this one. Especially like you, could, at least I felt like they had advanced the technology that much further because it really looked kind of seamless. Yeah, like even in even when I remember watching the first Ant Man film when they had um, young Michael Douglas walk out, or or even after was it after that when they did Civil War, Civil War, because there was that scene where they had a young, like, they tried to do a teenage version of Robert Downey Jr. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, even that, like, it, I, I acknowledge that it looked good for what it was, uh, or, it, it's good, you know, yeah. but, yeah. To me, it still sort of looked like I was looking at a video game, you know, there were, in in certain light, it still looked yeah. kind of, you know?
1: You knew it was special effects, but yeah. it's just a matter of, are you willing to buy into this? Yeah, yeah, to, yeah, For the sake of the
0: movie. But I would say for this one, um, it looked a lot better. You know, they, I, I, I was watching the young version of Sam, oh, not Samuel L. <laughs> Lawrence Fishburne. And, um, granted, I, uh, granted Lawrence Fishburne isn't that old, but, and you know, if you do enough hair and makeup and you combine that with the technology that's available, you can make them look yeah. pretty good. Right. Yeah. But, uh, overall, I, I, I was impressed. That's a good point. Yeah, I forgot
1: know. about that. That was yeah. just a short little sequence in the yeah. beginning, but yeah, yeah, that did look good. Yeah. It wasn't. Uh, I think the only reason why that stood up to me was because I was like, "Wait, is that really Michelle Pfeiffer? How she looks now? That can't." Oh, okay. It's a, it's a flashback, yeah. right? You yeah. know, because because the way that they they made it look was it was pretty uh, smooth. Like yeah. unless you're actually looking for.
0: Exactly. Pixels, you know? Exactly. If you're looking really intensely, then you might be able... You'll probably be able to be like, oh, man, you can see the... Yeah. You know, where, where it doesn't... Where it's fake or whatever, right? Yeah. But, yeah, with Michelle Pfeiffer, same thing. Like, she... I don't think she looks extremely different. I mean, she's aged, right? Like, uh, obviously. But, you know, if you put a wig on her or, like, con- a convincing wig and some like some makeup and you combine that again with the special effects it, it looked yeah she looked right on yeah you know?
1: that's like that's like looking at her from like a movie from the 90s exactly and i was exactly. like Dude, that, that looks just like how she looked in like batman exactly. returns or exactly. something exactly you know? that's kind of what i was thinking <laughs> it was like
0: it looked good enough where i, I was like oh i would believe that if yeah that was now right yeah. Now. yeah yeah so yeah kudos to that
1: yeah they did a good job on that yeah i also liked how uh, they had an Asian man. In
0: the, <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Asian Jimmy Wu. Yeah. Um, you gotta love that.
0: The actor is Randall Park, and he was... I think the biggest thing that he's known for is Fresh Off the Boat on ABC, which is also owned by Disney, so not a big surprise that they would use him. But overall, he's... Uh, like, you know, over the course of his career, he's someone that... and all the things that I've seen him in, I've always enjoyed him he's very like charismatic he's super charismatic like yeah it, it shows even in like whatever brief scenes that he's in for that movie i
1: think uh what i remember him from the most is uh that that one little joke from the office where he, he was playing the asian gym yeah you remember that yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah i do remember that it's um
1: <laughs> he did a great job in that too yeah that, that <laughs> made me laugh
0: yeah, he, he's a good addition to the cast, you Yeah, know, and he plays really well with, uh, Paul Rudd,
1: mm-hmm. like, they had
0: good chemistry Definitely. On, on screen, so, yeah, um, I will say that the, the cast was fun, and the special effects were good, and, uh, the story, you know, the story is a fun story, man, and, uh, I think it's only fair that I discuss the, 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 the issues that I did have with the movie. Yeah. Um. Totally. I will say that there are holes in its logic or just timetable thing, things that are a little convenient for my uh-huh. taste. And I don't, I'm not going to say that it ruined it for me, but it was stuff that was like, oh, okay. You know? So, Let's hear it, man. Let's hear it. Yeah, like w- one of the, one of the small things that I had to uh, point out, and I, I know that this was part of the gag was, so towards the end of the movie, you have, um, you know, the, the the stereotypical comic, uh, you know, gun-toting villains, right? The the thugs or the gangsters or whatever you would call them. Yeah. Um, the scene is they pull a gun on uh Michael Pena. I think that I that's yeah. the actor's name, but I forget yeah. the character's uh, name. Luis. Luis. They pull a gun on him, and it's one of those moments where it's like, oh, they have him dead to rights. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like his his friends show up and they like stun him tase him yeah that was again I get that it's a joke but I was just like oh where'd they come from <laughs> you know it took me out well, of it a little there, bit
1: there was a scene that showed the two guys leaving their office and driving over to where all the action was was there? yeah they, 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 they were watching TV and they are like oh shoot we gotta get over oh, okay. there and,
0: I might have missed that yeah. then oh okay so, uh, there was that uh, the other thing was uh, the big the really big one for me was the fact that uh, the ghost so the ghost wanted to so part of the plot was that in order for the ghost to save herself the process that they would have to use could potentially kill Janet Van Dyne when they were extracting her from the quantum zone quantum, quantum realm, realm? Yeah. yeah. so they were so that's kind of what put them in conflict put the ghost in conflict with uh, Scott Lang, Hank Pym, and uh, Hope Van Dyne. Yeah. So, at the end of the movie, they stop the ghost from killing Janet Van Dyne as they're extracting her from the Quantum Realm. But you would... And and they've already set this timetable within the story to say so that you already know that the ghost doesn't have much time left. She's mm-hmm. running out of time, and ultimately she's just going to phase into oblivion. Mm-hmm. So... So just as they pull Janet Van Dyne out, and you would think that this would mean that all hope is lost for the ghost, but Janet Van Dyne walks over, and she there's a not necessarily a throwaway line, but there is a line that they establish er, like when they earlier a little bit earlier in the film where she talks about how she's evolved in her time in the quantum realm and yeah. being exposed to everything in there. But I just found it convenient that. The ghost was, for all intents and purposes, dead to rights, and all of a sudden Janet says, I think I can help, and she uses these new powers to fix her, basically. Yeah. Yeah. But I will say that there was something towards that end that kind of made it a little better for me uh, in the post credit scene when... Uh, so... In the post-credit scene what you see is Scott Lang shrink down to go back into the quantum realm mm-hmm. and their mission is to get more of these particles and he says so he basically says we're going to get more of these particles to help our ghost friend. So what that tells me is that she didn't necessarily cure the ghost completely but like whatever she did was a temporary fix just to keep her around that yeah. much longer, just so that they could get more of these particles to try to help her. Yeah. So that sort of made it a little more okay for me. But if they had just made it like, I just happen to have the powers that can save you When now that I'm back, I, I don't think I would have... I'm Again, it's not something that would have necessarily ruined the movie for me, but it did make it me convenient. roll... It was convenient. It yeah. made me roll my eyes a little bit. I think one of the things that,
1: they established earlier in the movie was how the the I think the reason why Ghost needed that tunnel thing into the quantum realm was so she could extract uh, quantum energy or, or yeah. I don't remember what they called it <laughs> but just some junk that doesn't really exist in real life probably yeah. or maybe it doesn't I just don't know science
0: <laughs>
1: but she wanted to extract the quantum energy that had accumulated yeah. uh, in there and I guess because uh, because Janet Van Dyne had been in there so long, she had accumulated a lot of that energy. Yeah. But there was a chance that if she extracted that energy from her through the tunnel, that it could have forced or it could have caused Janet to cease existing. Yeah. Or something to that effect. And maybe because of that, uh, we're supposed to understand that Janet is imbued with all this uh, extraneous quantum energy that yeah. she can then transfer um, out of her own. Uh, Willpower or something. So maybe that's why. Uh, I, I think as far as things that bugged me, uh, one of the things that kind of irked me was... It was something pretty minor too. Like yeah. I, I don't, It's not anything that I would get hung up about. But yeah. that part when uh, they have the lab grown back to normal size in, in a forest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, then, and then the feds come and arrest Hank and Hope. And then they have to, basically, like that's when the the timer starts, right? Like they have basically had two hours to, to go and find her. Yeah, go and find Janet before you know. She said it was like gonna be another century before the everything everything would align. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So for me, I was just thinking, wait a minute, two hours? They're in a forest. Like, where the heck are they? Yeah. Like, how how do you have two hours and and then? They got to get arrested. They drive out of the forest, yeah. go to some federal <laughs> holding place, yeah. and then get out, yeah. and then go to wherever it was they were, and then go all the way to Fisherman's Wharf, yeah. and then and it looks like, how do they have time to do all that? Yeah, this?
0: yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. I, I hadn't thought about it at the time, just because I was just, I guess, engrossed in what was happening well, at that current I moment. Mean, were,
1: but... they in, were they in the Marin Headlands, or, or were they...
0: Yeah, were,
1: right? Was it, the, was it the Presidio? I mean... Even if they're in the could have been the procedure. Like somebody would see that, you know. Like yeah. Somebody would see a, a gigantic building grow up, pop up like that. Yeah. So, like the only thing I can think of is there's someone in like the Marin Headlands. Yeah.
0: Like, how do they do all that? Drive all the way out. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, it's like a like forty five minute drive out there to begin yeah. with, and then they had to drive back into town where the uh, supposedly the FBI facility is. Exactly. <laughs>
1: So yeah, I guess that was one thing that it just makes me wish people that the writers would have just thought about simple things like that. Yeah. You know, they yeah. could have just said, Oh, we've got six hours or whatever. Yeah, yeah. that would have been fine. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it definitely felt like all the stuff that they did had to have taken more than two hours.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, you you said you had earlier you had a thought about Bill Foster or Lawrence Fishburne. Do you uh what were you going to ask me? Do, do you remember?
1: Man, I I
0: don't remember what I was going to ask.
1: Okay. Maybe I should have just asked it at the time. Oh. And then we wouldn't have that, <laughs> this problem. But I don't know. Um, I did. Oh, I think I remember what I was going to ask you now. I was, I was going to ask you if there were any other actors that you could think of that had roles in Marvel and DC movies. Because wasn't mm-hmm. Lawrence Fishburne in
0: Superman? Yeah, he was Perry White yeah. in Superman. Yeah. Uh, there was a uh, that guy who played J. Jonah Jameson in the Sam Raimi Spider Man films. He is Commissioner Gordon in the Zack Snyder uh Wait Justice the, League. Guy,
1: the guy from the Farmers commercials?
0: Yeah. Oh he
1: was he's Commissioner Gordon? Yeah. Was it was he in uh Batman V Superman?
0: He wasn't in Batman V Superman, but he was in Justice League. Oh, okay. Yeah. I
1: haven't seen Justice League yet.
0: Yeah. I'll, I'll borrow it from the library, so yeah. I can hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think. that uh, I want to say that there are a couple more. I just can't think of anyone at the moment. Yeah. There's got to be.
1: Yeah. But it was it was definitely cool to see Lawrence Fishburne and Bill yeah. Foster.
0: Yeah. Uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, Bill Foster was another... Size-changing superhero in mm-hmm. the comics. He went by Goliath. And,
1: mm-hmm. um, Wait, didn't they call him Black Goliath? <laughs> weren't they racist back then? Uh, didn't they call him
0: that? Eh, I think they're racist now too. So yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing has changed that much. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. I I kind of agree with you in terms of the logic of, if Ghost had just gone over and told them, hey, I got this affliction and only you guys can help me, they, realistically speaking, could have, I, I, yeah, the thought did occur to me during that movie too, but then you wouldn't really have a movie. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I guess it could have been a movie where all they had to really deal with was the Southern Gentleman. Yeah, yeah. And that's not really that threatening.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I would have been more
1: frightened of the ghost yeah. chasing me.
0: Yeah.
1: But, um,
0: yeah, I would, what'd you think of the post credit scene?
1: Oh, and, with the like, ant playing drums? Oh, dude, that was great, man. I love <laughs> that giant ant. That, I, I really don't like ants or insects in general, I suppose, yeah. but seeing a giant ant playing the drums, that's There's fun.
0: something, uh, entertaining about it, yeah. I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah. I guess it brings me back to, like, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids when they yeah, had a giant ant yeah, friend. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> no, so, but, for some reason, the giant ant looks cuter than an actual ant yeah. or a normal-sized ant.
0: Well, I've always felt like, in terms of bugs, ants and bees were kind of on the cuter end. I've, I've definitely found yeah, them... Yeah,
1: bees definitely.
0: Yeah, I definitely find them cuter than spiders or cockroaches or scorpions. But I do think scorpions were always sort of cool. They're, they're cool. I, yeah. I don't think scorpions and spiders are bugs, though. Oh, okay. Well, they're not insects. Tiny animal things. I, I don't... <laughs> I'm not a scientist, Drew. Really. <laughs> <laughs> they told me about the quantum realm, and I believe it.
1: <laughs> um. Oh, you're talking about the other post-credits scene. I am. Okay. Uh, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Uh, so... So we established earlier that uh, Ant-Man, as a, in terms of its timeline, occurs before everything that happens in Infinity War. So we all kind of knew going into it, or at least me and you mm-hmm. both knew going into it, that it had to end with some sort of reference to the, uh, the catastrophic event that happened at the end of uh, Infinity War, which was half the world just disintegrating into Oblivion. Yeah. So, the the end credits scene shows Scott Lang shrinking into the Quantum Realm yet again, but this time to get these particles to help the Ghost. hmm And, yep. they talk about, there, there's a line in there where he talks about how if he shrinks to that level and there's no way to help him get out, he's in trouble. Yeah. And like, lo and behold, what would happen that he shrinks to that level and, the event occurs, and all three of the people that are there, uh, Janet Van Dyne, Hope Van Dyne, and uh, Hank Pym, all three of them uh, are affected by the event. Nobody is left. Yeah. So the movie ends with Scott Lang being uh, stranded in the quantum realm. And they established a little earlier on that exposure in the quantum realm could have effects on your mental state and your body, but Janet Van Dyne seemed fine.
1: Mentally, (laughs) mentally she seemed fine. Yeah. She just had those extra powers.
0: Yeah. Yeah. When I was was sitting there and watching the movie, I did think to myself, wouldn't it be interesting if they, like, brought her back and she was actually deranged and, like, (laughs) kind of a threat and a danger to all of them? That would be quite a twist. Yeah, like, so, they're trying to save the ghost. The before I get to that thought, the other thought that I was going to have uh, about how the movie was going to end it was, I thought it was literally going to be this thing where Bill Foster and Hank Pym would be like, you know what, we can work together and we can find a way to use bringing Janet back to save the ghost as well. Yeah. So I didn't necessarily see Janet being the one to use the powers to, you know, save the, uh, the ghost. Right. You know, so, So. Um, what was my earlier thought? Oh yeah, like, I I did, you know, when I was watching the film, I did think to myself, wouldn't it be interesting, wouldn't that be a twist if she came back, and it turns out that she was just kind of this deranged monster (sighs) now, and like, the second that she reappears in the world with them, like, she just starts wreaking havoc, and it's really about all of them having to stop her, and they have to live with the fact that they messed up (laughs) in bringing her back. Dude, that would have been quite a twist. Yeah. The other, uh... Another thing that I sort of noticed, I, I don't know if you noticed it, and I don't know like why they did this, but um, when they came, came back with Janet Van Dyne, Janet came out first, and she was by herself for a pretty significant period of time, and like it was this moment where she was reconnecting with Hope, mm-hmm. and Hank Pym was kind of out of the picture, or like off to the side. And he didn't step out of their uh, vehicle yeah. yeah so for a while i was like did something happen to him did like he die instead it was i i like i don't know if they intended it but i i kind of had tension waiting to see what would, what had happened to him yeah did you get that feeling
1: i think they were trying to create that tension but i i personally just didn't really feel any tension yeah i think i think they were trying to create that you know that feeling where it's like oh they went on this mission. They they completed their mission of saving her mom, but now something tragic has happened to her father. And yeah. I thought when they when they didn't show him because I I think the camera kind of like purposefully like cropped him out. <laughs> no no no. Uh, when when the the vehicle landed uh, or came back to the real world or whatever. Yeah. It was all there was all the smoke, and then they made kind of this dramatic thing where a figure starts coming out and you can't tell who it is until until Jan steps fully out of the smoke yeah. and then they have their moment. And I felt like the camera either lingered or cut back to the vehicle yeah. and you expect Hank to, to walk out, but he doesn't walk out immediately. Yeah. And then I think I was just like, why did they do that? Like, yeah, it, right. It was kind of a weird thing to because I felt like if something bad did happen to him at that point, yeah. it would have just come out of nowhere. It would have been... A tragedy that had no, no buildup or setup. And I mean, I guess in a way that's kind of realistic because, hey, he's old. Maybe he had a heart attack or something. Yeah, maybe yeah, the strain yeah. on his body was too much.
0: And they were sort of playing with that like throughout the entire movie. Were they? Yeah, sort of like when he first entered the quantum realm, he was like under distress. It looked like he was he wasn't handling it well. Oh, like. okay. And uh, there were times where. Granted, it was part of an act at the time when they were tied to the chair and yeah. he was, like, having, like, heart I figured stuff. he was just saying that. Yeah, to... but it, like, I kept getting the feeling like they were going to do something to him, mm. but it just never ended up happening yeah, It's that okay,
1: way. Albert. He died at the end anyway.
0: We all die at the...
1: We saw him die. Or we saw <laughs> the remains of his ashes <laughs> blowing in the wind. <laughs> you happy? Yeah, he's dead. Yeah, yeah, he's dead, Albert. Needless
0: death brings me joy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh man, were there any other uh, standout moments or scenes or actors for you? Jeez, uh, I did.
0: Uh, um, I did enjoy. I don't know why. Like, what in particular? about this one scene brought me joy but or uh, entertainment or whatever you want to call it but uh the the one scene where he was just kind of giant like bigger than uh anyone had ever gotten yeah and he was just panting for air and he he's like you know he had succeeded in getting the the office the facility back but he was just panting like crazy and he didn't he wasn't going to be able to maintain consciousness and he just kind of ends up passing out. Yeah. You know, there was something about that where... You like seeing
1: men struggle for breath. I've noticed (laughs) that. I like that that about Logan, too. Yeah, (laughs) I've noticed
0: that. (laughs) No, uh, I think... I think that was just a moment of realness for me because, realistically speaking, there has to be limits to his size. Yeah. uh, Just knowing that they thought of that or that they incorporated that into the film yeah. made it seem more realistic to me. Yeah. You know? Definitely. I will say this, uh, and like this was kind of a throwaway thought that I had while I was watching it. So the whole time they're like running around with this shrunken version of the facility and yeah. like everyone's just tossing it around Yeah, exactly. And smashing it through windows and stuff. It's like this is a building that's shrunk down significantly from what its actual size is supposed to be. Like you would think that it would be just crushed at this point. And if not that, all the st- all the little tiny, tiny yeah. stuff inside would just be shaken up. But like, yeah. who's to say that the quantum tunnel that they created isn't just broken to bits yeah. by the time that they enlarge it again?
1: Maybe everything inside the lab is bolted down with so much strength and and just being reinforced, reinforced. Yeah, <laughs> that it can handle yeah. all getting tossed around yeah. and everything. I don't know, man. Or, hey, it's... Pin particles, dude. Yeah. Pin particles.
0: Yeah, <laughs> uh, wizards did it. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Another scene that I really liked in the film was uh, the truth serum scene with Luis. Yeah, that was pretty
0: hilarious. Yeah, I it like was a nice that. throwback scene to the first. movie, Yeah, exactly. Too, so. uh, yeah, that was fun. Yeah, it was fun. Um, did you think that? So, so now that the movie ends with him being in the quantum realm, how yeah. do you think? they're gonna how's gonna play into the next Avengers how do you think they're gonna do you think they're gonna find him because he's millions upon billions of times smaller than the naked eye can see yeah how do they how do they save him how like
1: yeah that's a good question um it's anything I would come up with right now would just be a complete guess you know just throwing Throwing poop at the wall to see if anything can
0: actually stick. Well, that's what we're here for, man. Yeah. Like, <laughs> we're all about the poop. Yeah, poop. Poop is like uh, a snowflake. Snowflakes. No, no two poops are alike. Yeah, right. They're special and They're unique. They're special. Yeah, and brown. <laughs> uh, snowflakes. No oh, poop. Oh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> brown or less brown, yeah. depending on what you eat. Red sometimes. <laughs> Ooh, hope <laughs> <laughs> oh, not too a... often, man. <laughs> If you eat enough Hot Cheetos.
1: <laughs> oh, man. That, that just makes it hurt when it comes out. But uh, let's see. I think there's a chance that the Quantum Realm could be... Uh, there
0: There has been talk that the Quantum Realm may tie into how they save yeah. the Marvel Universe in, yeah. in the next movie.
1: I'm not really sure how that would work. Uh, I don't know how they would explain that, really. Yeah. Uh, but clearly, there's some sort of powerful energy being that can be drawn from the quantum realm. Yeah. There's a chance that, hey, maybe Captain Marvel can detect that flux of energy.
0: That's true. We haven't seen the Captain Marvel movie yet, so there might be hints of something in the Captain Marvel movie that'll tie into, you know, whatever happened in Ant-Man. You might be able to see the culmination of that, being executed. Yeah. I mean, in all likelihood, that's what's going to happen. So, hopefully, they'll make some sort of sense out of it with uh, the Captain Marvel movie.
1: Because Captain Marvel, one of her abilities is to like draw and absorb uh, ambient uh, energy or radiation, radioactive energy or something. Yeah. Something pseudo scientific. Yeah. Uh, so who's to say that the quantum realm, the energy that from those particles isn't something that she can detect maybe maybe she knows something that will say oh we need more of that in order to help us fight the threat or whatever yeah or maybe uh maybe ant-man won't be in the next movie
0: yeah this might be the end of it for him
1: that that would be funny if if he's just in that realm the whole time yeah (laughs) And and like
0: just the, the, hanging around
1: <laughs> the, the post credit scene of, of the next of the next Avengers movie is him just being like help help <laughs> where is everybody
0: <laughs> the other scene that I wanted to mention that uh, now that I think about it was a really fun scene was the scene in the school oh yeah that I had was a lot funny. of fun with that, that was funny so it, so. So, I mentioned before that a lot of the movie does feel like it's just kind of them running around, like, kind of doing errands. Yeah. So, one of the scenes was them going, so, they needed to find an old Ant-Man suit. And his daughter had taken the uh, trophy that had a hidden Ant-Man suit in it. Yeah. So, he had to to wear a new Ant-Man suit sneak into this elementary school <sighs> and retrieve the old suit because it had technology that they could use to find the facility yeah. that was stolen. So they run around in the school, but while they're in there, the suit malfunctions, and, you know, they, they play a lot of really jokey... They, they, they have a lot of fun with this malfunction, you know? So he shrinks down to the size of a kid, yeah. <laughs> and he, he, behave, he you know, it's. It's purely physical comedy, but it's just him watching this grown adult man who's the size of a child acting like a child, you know, (laughs) like moving in the way that a child would. And it's, it's comical, you know, it's, it's purely physical comedy, but it's it's funny, dude. I, I, it's, I thought that was a good scene. It it was enjoyable. It made me laugh. Yeah.
1: How do you think that, uh, they're going to tie in the ending of Ant-Man with, with, uh, the next Avengers? Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. What are your theories?
0: Um, like, I don't have anything nearly as, uh, thought out as what you had, um, but, I mean, the quantum realm, I, I've heard some theories online, and we all know those are all reliable, (laughs) but, uh, they were saying things about how time travel might be involved, and how, um. If the quantum realm exists outside of time. There might be, mm-hmm. it might have something where you know, Ant Man might be able to time travel or something like that. But I don't know if that's that. Probably isn't my preferred story for yeah. him. Yeah, I think yeah.
1: that that would be kind of a a weird way to, to yeah. do it. Just because we've seen Janet Van Dyne stuck in the quantum realm, and for her. She no, time has passed. Yeah, time yeah. passed. Like, she's still aged. Yeah. Um, so I feel like if they were to try to introduce some new element where you could actually use the quantum realm to yeah. travel through time and, and you know, go back into the past yeah. and redo something or, or fix a mistake, that would kind of be a cheat to
0: yeah. the Ant-Man movies. Well, the thing I was going to say was that we know that Captain Marvel as a movie is going to take place in the 80s. 90s, so, I think. Or 90s? Really?
1: Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. The era we grew up in is
0: now ripe for nostalgia. Uh, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so so there's got to be some sort of connection that gets her to our time, right? So there's that. The other thought that just occurred to me is that line that Janet Van Dyne says, where she says that prolonged exposure to the quantum realm evolves you. That's true, too. I do think that. It'll, there's a chance that that could do something to Scott Lang. Yeah. Where... It could give him some new powers. Yeah, either new powers or, like... Yeah, yeah. Or, like, he'll come back with something that they can use. Yeah, it'll yeah. either
1: give him new powers or some sort of uh, evolved mental consciousness. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and what you were saying about Captain Marvel as well, maybe Maybe at the end of her movie, she Yeah. ends, ends up somehow uh, having to... Enter the quantum realm. Yeah. I don't really know how. And the other
0: thing that we saw in this movie is that from the quantum realm, Janet Van Dyne is able to, like, I guess, not communicate, but, like, channel herself mm-hmm. through, like, other people, right? Or That's true. Or not yeah. a lot of other people, but That's at true. least someone yeah. who was in the quantum realm, yeah. right? So there's... I think that might be how they save... Yeah, man, that could be it. I, I think if... Uh, if there's some because sort of connection between Captain Marvel and the Quantum Realm, Yeah. he may be able to talk through her.
1: Yeah, yeah. because cause in this movie, in Ant-Man and the Wasp, they established that because Ant-Man, in the first Ant-Man movie, had been to the Quantum Realm, some of that energy remained upon him. Yeah. And that's why he was kind of this conduit for Jan when she was stuck in there. She was yeah. able to like, communicate through him. So if, if there is some sort of relationship between Captain Marvel and the Quantum Realm, there's a good chance that Scott will be able to communicate use that. with her or yeah. use that connection she can be the antenna or the tether yeah. that allows him to get back into the real world
0: yeah so i mean we me and you haven't necessarily figured out everything but there's a good chance that that could be the, the solution like right a there. logical
1: reasonable way to play things off
0: yeah I'll take
1: that. I'm looking forward to the next Avengers movie and Captain yeah. Marvel.
0: Yeah, I'm curious about yeah. the Captain Marvel movie. I'm uh, I want to see how this all plays out.
1: What if at the end of Captain Marvel, the post-credit scene, mm-hmm. she's one of
0: the people who dies from Thanos? <laughs> 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 that'd be uh, that'd be interesting. She doesn't get a trilogy, <laughs> and we're all laying our hopes on her, so. We don't even get that either. <laughs> it's a movie about stripping away your hopes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Okay, any final thoughts on uh,
1: Ant-Man? Nope, I think that's all I, all I have. What about yeah. you?
0: Uh. Yeah, that was pretty much everything that I had to say. Like, it, it's, it's an enjoyable experiment, experience, just... For the experience of it, like I don't know if I'd rank it in like one of my favorite Marvel movies, but you know, it it was a fun experience. Yeah, you
1: know, I enjoyed it for what it was.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: All right, you guys have been listening to Between the Gutters. Thanks for having fun with us. Hopefully, uh, you were entertained and yeah, and uh, maybe even learned something about Hank Pym being
0: a white Peter. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um before we go i just want to give a shout out to my friend at beefy co b-e-e-f-y-c-o go visit his website beefyco.com he's got a lot of cool shirts and a lot of cool plushes. you know uh go check it out
1: thanks for listening guys we'll catch you next time